BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Good morning and welcome to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield. Today is Wednesday, January 20th, 2021, Inauguration Day. About an hour ago, President Trump just left the White House. He will still be president when he arrives down in Palm Beach around 11 o'clock this morning. And about 10 minutes ago, he departed from Joint Base Andrews in Maryland. Live from Andrews is Mark Serrano, one of the many to see the president off. He's the CEO of Proactive Communications. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Carrie. Thanks for having me. So walk us through the mood. What's the sense there? There was a crowd there. I heard one press reporters, about two to 300 people there to give a, a farewell to the president. Yeah, well, we came in about two hours ago. This is a very intimate, exclusive event. I'm honored to be here and to be invited today. It was only a handful, only people from the White House, uh, some campaign people and supporters of Donald Trump were invited today. Probably about five, 600 people were here. It was very exclusive, and I, I just can't tell you what an honor it was. The president arrived on Marine One about 8.20, 8.25 a.m. His family was here with him. Uh, the First Lady Melania Trump stood by him at the podium, and he just had some, uh, you know, a wonderful farewell. He talked about the accomplishments against all odds, the miracle that we performed in these past four years. And, um, you know, it was, it's... It's a first-time farewell event for a president right before he leaves office. It's a powerful moment and a powerful event. And uh, I just, what an honor it's been to be here, uh, candidly. And we're showing on screen right now the Air Force One departure there as the president departs for Florida, for Palm Beach. The note that he said at the end, he said, we'll be back in some form. And the crowd erupted in applause. What do you think he meant by that? And what did the crowd say? Yeah, well, Donald Trump's the leader of an amazing populist movement of hardworking men and women all across America. And that movement is alive and well. And Donald Trump's the leader of that movement. So there is a new chapter that lies ahead. I don't know what it looks like. I don't think uh, the President Trump knows what it looks like at the moment. But there is a new chapter ahead and we'll be back. I have to tell you, Carrie, as Air Force One was literally lifting off the ground as the wheels were leaving the ground, uh, Frank Sinatra, the, the over the loudspeakers, was coming in singing, I did it my way. And literally, literally the last lyrics, the last words of the song, of the song, I did it my way, were sung as he was wheels up off the ground. It was very, very poignant, powerful moment. And your classic stagecraft from Donald Trump, there, there's never been a showman like him and never will be again. And certainly that song was iconic for him. That was the song that he chose for him and Melania Trump for their first dance at their inauguration four years ago. So a very moving song for him. And also immediately right after he ended his remarks, there was the YMCA song. That's the song that he plays at all his rallies right after he speaks. So it very much had sort of a rally feel. What's your sense among people there at the crowd? Do you think that he's going to run again in four years? Well, look, it's a bittersweet moment today. I mean, we've got uh, such great energy, the people that love Donald Trump uh, and love this president, all that we've accomplished. Uh, and I think absolutely anything is possible. 
Um, you know, this, uh, this president has moved this country in a direction that we just can't turn back away from. I know efforts will be made to do that. Uh, but, uh, you know, the nation really needed an outsider. The nation needed someone to treat this like a business uh, and to bring jobs back to America in record numbers, to cut taxes, to revive this economy. And so, frankly, I'd welcome it. I think uh, the president's going to go down to Florida and regroup uh, and see what happens in the near future. But uh, this is a very poignant moment, a lot of energy in this crowd. And uh, what, a, what an honor it was for us to be able to experience this send off and a very, very poignant, powerful farewell to President Trump and First Lady Melania Trump. Well, and the First Lady did give some brief remarks as well. What did she say? What was the crowd's response? Well, you know, uh, the First Lady basically offered her appreciation for this honor to serve as First Lady of the United States. Uh, you know, she offered her thanks uh, and she, uh, you know, asked for blessings, blessings on, uh, on all of us, on the country uh, and this amazing nation. So she was um, uh, short spoken as usual, uh, but very, very eloquent. And uh, boy, we're just going to miss her as, uh, as uh, the classiest, uh, most wonderful, gracious first lady in American history. And the president also gave a somber note and said he wanted to make sure that Americans keep in mind and thoughts all those who perished in the coronavirus vaccine. He also talked about how he was able through record time to get a vaccine approved at a pace just not seen elsewhere. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, look, the president reminded us that, you know, in February of 2020, uh, before the uh, pandemic hit, we had a record economy. Uh, you know, historic record economy. And uh, he did offer his, uh, his thoughts and prayers for those who've been affected by the pandemic, those who've been lost to it, uh, reminded us of where it came from, from China. Um, and, uh, and yet, you know, look what the president has done uh, with warp speed. He delivered a vaccine in record time. It's been delivered to millions and millions of Americans. And what, uh, what a proud moment the president can stand by his record on addressing this pandemic keeping this economy together despite the odds and also delivering relief to people and, and protection to people through this vaccine. Uh, it's going to be one of his crowning achievements. Mark, so you were an advisor to the Trump campaign. What do you think is going to be his top priority once he leaves office now? Is he going to be really focused on the states and how to have electoral reform to make sure that there's no big questions or, or you know, judges or, or executive branches who are going around the legislature and making changes to election law? Yeah, look, I mean, despite the uh, shame game that's going on in Washington, D.C., there are serious, serious questions that must be addressed by state legislatures uh, from this recent election. You know, it's clear that lawlessness uh, had, had reigned. There were governors and, and secretaries of state that changed the rules, which is outside of their constitutional authority. Uh, it's clear that there were irregularities and lawlessness that took place with this election. We have to stick with facts. We have to stick with what we know. Uh, and there are a lot of questions that must be addressed by state legislatures. And it's more important than ever that they do, carry, because uh, of the cloud of uncertainty uh, and, and the uh, illegality, the lawlessness that we witnessed in uh, uh, blocking Republicans from massive consolidated ballot counting rooms. Look, there's a lot there. And we've got to uh, take a very sober, mature, responsible look at what took place. And that really has got to be, more importantly, the state legislatures that look at it because they're the ones who have the authority that was usurped from them uh, by, uh, by state leaders. All right, Mark Serrano, thanks so much for that report there from the ground at Joint Base Sanders in Maryland. You're welcome. Thank you.
Well, we'll be right back with John Solomon, our founder. He has the lowdown on all these documents that President Trump released. He declassified them. John has the scoop. Stay tuned. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And you can see that is the live shot of the United States Capitol, where our new president will be sworn in at noon today, Joseph R. Biden. We are going to be giving you a live interview from our correspondents there on the ground at the Capitol. But first, I want to bring in John Solomon, our founder here of JustTheNews.com and our editor-in-chief. He has the latest scoop on documents that were released by the Trump administration over the objections of the FBI. John, what was the objection here of the FBI and what was in these documents? That's a great question, right? I mean, I think the only objection is to try is to try to give the American public some transparency on the continu- the remaining failures that haven't been exposed, the double treatment of Hillary Clinton or double standard treatment they gave Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump. So uh, the president ordered these and signed the order late last night to fo- finally declassify them. They've not been released publicly. We have obtained some of the documents, not all of them, but some of them. And in the first batch that we obtained, we can clearly see Uh, Christopher Steele's uh, September 2017 interview where he admits his motives for leaking the entire Russia collusion story. And what he says is, I did it because I was concerned Hillary Clinton's email scandal was hurting her presidential chances. So she was my client and therefore I tried to help her. And secondly, I considered um, Donald Trump to be my main opponent. That's his words. Because uh, uh, he was, I think he would have been bad for U.S. Great Britain relations. A pretty stunning admission that a foreigner intervened in our election uh, to help Hillary Clinton and to maybe make things better for his own home country. Uh, These are the sort of revelations we're going to have days and weeks of. Uh, And um, uh, I think another big one that we hope to be working on today and tomorrow is uh, an episode that started in 2014, carried into 2016, where the FBI opened an investigation of foreign money targeting Hillary Clinton during her campaign. And instead of getting a FISA like the FBI agents on the front line wanted, uh, they instead gave her a defensive briefing and said, hey, just be careful with these foreigners. Don't take money for them. They'll be okay." It's exactly the opposite of what they did to Donald Trump when they didn't give him a uh, defensive briefing and instead put him under investigation or put his campaign under investigation with a year long FISA warrant. So people will be able to see as these documents come out two different ways. Two candidates were treated two different ways with the same question of foreign Uh, influence in their campaigns. Uh, It's going to be a pretty extraordinary few days as we go through and publish these documents. Well, it's extraordinary to see the FBI, of which President Trump is still commander, uh, at least for another couple hours, fighting against the commander-in-chief to release this information. Their argument was that this had to do with national security, that these things needed to be kept confidential. Was there anything that you saw in these documents that could have jeopardized national security? Well, in fact, the president allowed the FBI to make a round of redactions that, to address any of their concerns. And, and so, you know, things like Social Security numbers, sources and methods, names of informers or informants uh, are all redacted. They don't change the meaning. I mean, the public still gets the value of this. But anything that, that uh, harms national security was redacted. The president allowed that. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, it's the institutional inertia of this uh, agency. It has not wanted to own its behavior in the Russia collusion story. And it hasn't wanted to allow the American public 
to see the full extent of failures that occurred on the James Comey watch. Three letters, C-Y-A. So, John, <laughs> um, let's talk about pardons. So we know last night there was a flurry, a big group, at least 75 names that the president pardoned. We know Steve Bannon, who is a host on this network on Real America's Voice, he received a pardon because there were questions about uh, an event that he was hosting for building the wall. Little rapper, the, or Little Wayne, the rapper as well. Who else is on this list of 73 pardons and 70 commutations? Well, there are several um, uh, former congressmen, Republican congressmen, Duke Cunningham being one, uh, Rick Renzi being another that got uh, a clemency. Uh, I think the most surprising one for a lot of people I've talked to was Kwame Kilpatrick, the former Democratic Detroit mayor who was convicted of corruption, was serving 28 years in prison. The president commu uh, commuted his sentence. And then there's somebody that just the newsreaders are very familiar with, a guy named William Billy Walters. We did a big investigative project, myself and Christine Dolan last year, looking at FBI misconduct in his case. And the president commuted his sentence. He was uh, a famous sports gambler who then uh, got uh, caught up in an insider trading ca uh, case, sent to prison. But there was some widespread concern about the FBI's conduct, including illegal leaking of grand jury materials. And uh, we highlighted the evidence in that case just a few months ago. So he also got his uh, sentence commuted. Um, you know, it's a pretty eclectic group. The largest number, though, are everyday Americans who got caught up with drug offenses and then later turned their life around, something that President Trump has championed uh, in the uh, prison reform and judicial reform work he did. Long sentences for first-time offenders, and then they turned their life around. He wanted to reward some of those people, and when you go through the list, you'll see a lot of them. And including, this includes a, a man who was sent to prison and the very judge who sent him to prison requested the pardon and, and was pushing for the pardon. Very interesting development there. So one thing that was not present in this batch was any pardon for the president himself or for members of his family or for Rudy Giuliani, his personal attorney. Were you surprised by that? Or do you think that this is, do you think this exposes the president? Because there are a lot of people who have been going after Donald Trump for years now, ever since he came down that escalator. Do you think this leaves him exposed? You know, there's still three hours left in the presidency. We should see if anything else happens. But I'm not surprised that he didn't pardon himself or his family. I think there are three rationales for it. One, he doesn't think he did anything wrong. Two, he'd rather fight it out for history's sake. Uh, and uh, three, I think, you know, there is a, a good legal question about whether it's lawful to do so. I think he sided thus far in the final hours on the side of caution. And uh, I think the American people will appreciate the approach he took. And yes, you mentioned just here a couple hours, a few hours now uh, before we have a new president. What do you think is going to happen in terms of these documents? Are they going to be reclassified? Because there are reports that the FBI, because they don't want this transparency that President Trump wants, they under Biden are going to be pushing to reclassify these documents. What are you hearing? Yeah, I think that was a beat on the street yesterday. My sense in talking to some law enforcement officials is that they were happy that the president gave them the redactions that they needed to protect sources, methods, and names. And they're they're prepared that you can't take the toothpaste and put it back in the tube. So I'm hopeful that they won't do that, that the, president, the new president, President Biden, won't either, that allowing the American people to get this last form of transparency will put the question of Russia collusion to bed forever rather than let it linger. I think if the new president did that, it would just scream cover up and we'd, it would never get behind him. I think everyone's smart enough now to let these documents come out, let the American people see them and uh, get a final exclamation point on what was a very sad chapter in the history of the FBI. 
Do you think we're going to have any accountability, anything new in terms of the FBI being held to the public and, and saying, hey, some people should be fired here, there needs to be accountability? Will there be any changes? I think a lot will depend on the new attorney general under Joe Biden, uh, Judge Gar Garland, Mer Merrick Garland, who's very uh, uh, well respected in town on both sides of the aisle. Uh, he should let John Durham finish the investigation. Again, I think if Biden tries to interfere in that, it just creates the natural argument of cover-up that lingers over his presidency. The investigation is far along. None of these people work for Joe Biden now. Uh, I think the, uh, the, the reporting I've done thus far suggests they're going to leave that alone. But let's wait and see. History has a funny way of taking twists and turns when we least expect it. What's your prediction on Hunter Biden? Because we know that he is under investigation. He himself has even said, at least from the IRS. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is, there's definitely an active criminal tax investigation. My prediction is what I'm hearing in the reporting is that they're trying to get some sort of negotiated settlement, a plea deal. Uh, that seems to be a logical way to wrap this up. Uh, if you're the Biden administration, uh, some accountability, but also a fair deal for him. Uh, whether they can reach that deal with the acting prosecutor or the new prosecutors that come in remains to be determined. Well, it's certainly a distraction that the incoming president does not want to have, but uh, it's there. So, and thank you, John Solomon, for bringing this to light. My pleasure. Have a good day. Thank you. And we'll be back with live coverage from the U.S. Capitol of Inauguration Day 2021. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Morning and welcome back here to Just the News AM. It is Inauguration Day 2021 and we have our crew live from the U.S. Capitol overlooking there. Give us a sense. Amanda Head, a correspondent for Real America's Voice, she is there and David Zier as well. Good morning, folks. Good morning. Hey, Carrie. Hi to you both. Um, yes, it is a chilly morning, windy. Carrie, you know I live in Los Angeles. We deal with the Santa Ana winds over there in L.A., and we've got the wind whipping around. It's actually pretty calm right now, uh, but we've got a, a packed deck up here of media. Of course, you can see the Capitol behind us. Uh, no crowd whatsoever. It looks like they were doing some last-minute preparations a little while ago, and a few people scattered up on the steps of the Capitol, but other than that, it's pretty empty. It's, it's quite strange, actually. And I've got Duvalier Malone here on the set with me yeah. for the hour. Duvalier is a uh, Democrat and a friend of the show. Duvalier, uh, what's, what's your sense on this morning? Um, you know, I think two things happened, Kerry, as we saw uh, President Trump uh, leaving and the uh, excitement that was there uh, on the ground for him. Um, and then we see, you know, Joe Biden uh, and uh, Vice President Kamala Harris with their family uh, going to mass this morning. So it's a departure of um, a old, you know, uh, administration and a new day uh, for some. It's excitement for others. It's a sad day, and I think, you know, so many times we forget that over 70 million people uh, voted for Donald Trump and um, over 80 million voted for uh, Joe Biden. And so we're going to have to find a way to work together. Uh, and I think last night's um, 
memorial there um, uh, at the reflection pool was a dawning of a new day and an opportunity for whatever side of the aisle that you're on that this administration is looking forward to working for all Americans. Uh, so so it's exciting. Uh, it's exciting, you know. But of course, it's a, it's, a, it's a little weird because we don't have any people there on the, uh, on, the on the mall today. Sure. And, and yeah. there are hundreds of thousands of flags there on the National Mall. What are you guys hearing there, Amanda and David, just among the people? Are, are you seeing, is, is there any people there on the ground or is it just all totally barricaded off? We, we took, uh, it was about a couple miles from our hotel this morning. And as far as civilians, when I guess we passed maybe four or five on the way. Um, but other than that, absolutely nothing. And to piggyback on, uh, on what Devalier was saying, you know, the president's farewell address last night. Um, there is pretty much an equal amount of people in this country on both sides. And I think he's right. We're going to have to figure out a way to work together. And we used to be able to do that. Uh, but we have become a very polarized nation. And let's let's hope that this next administration can do something to to go back to the days where Republicans and Democrats could leave Congress and go have beers together. Because as you guys know, in media, you know, we, we actually are able to do that in the media a lot of time to uh, have a camaraderie with our colleagues on the other side of the aisle. So I hope that regardless of how you feel about this inauguration, today that there will be a sense of healing and that we can find a way to work together at some point. And David, what's your sense from yeah, the press? And, uh, because there's certainly, David, yeah. there was a, a contentious relationship between the press and President Trump. What's your sense just from talking to journalists there? Are they excited to see the president leave? Are they excited to see Joe Biden coming in? Well, I think the majority of the media is happy that Trump is gone, you know, and um, it's just the way it is, you know, with the mainstream media. You know, 94% of the articles over the last four years have been against Trump uh, generally or not supportive of him. So, um, you know, it, it's really strange down here. You know, I've been to previous inaugurations and, you know, there's nobody on the field behind us in front of the Capitol. Um, it's a little eerie, you know, and uh, I've been coming here my whole life. You know, uh, it's a little sad to see, you know, the state of what's going on down here. So, um, but, you know, there's a big agenda awaiting. And if you're a Trump fan, you're probably not happy with it. But Biden has all these executive orders coming out, you know, for the uh, travel ban, open borders, the XL pipeline, um, you know, and other issues. Um, you know, they're coming out swinging. It's going to be a blitz. And Carrie, I, I think also, you know, with your question to him about the media, I do wonder what the media is going to talk about now. Um, I think that their, that their ratings spiked because of President Trump and because of their, their opprobrium and censure of the president. So now uh, I'm not sure exactly what they are going to talk about other than hailing Joe Biden uh, to, to the utmost degree. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle this presidency if they, you know, a lot of people I've that I have respected for uh, for decades seem to kind of fall down on the job and not really um, do the job of journalism when it came to certain people. So I hope that that changes and that we start to see some actual yeah. uh, critical thinking in journalism. Yeah, and Amanda, you know, the fourth estate is important, you know, and if they're going to go along with the three branches of government controlled by one party, you know, it could be an issue for the United States going forward. Um, you know, I think there's still some journalistic integrity out there. And, but um, definitely you know, we'll see if they well, challenge. And I want to ask, Duval I want to ask Duvalier this question. So uh, but President Trump is 
actually incredibly uh, skilled at pulling the conversation his way. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think that the media is going to continue to use him as a pinata and to continue to attack him? Or is the media going to be focused on moving forward? I mean, because the media has certainly, as Amanda said, they've been very mm -hmm. much uh, in many ways profited off of the president. Uh, my hope is that we could move forth. I believe that we bring Trump in when he is, you know, um, going forth in policy influence uh, in the Republican Party. Um, but I think we have to move forth and we have to tell the stories, uh, uh, American stories. I remember a day, Kerry, uh, years ago where we would, t we would talk to people on both sides of the aisle, get their perspective. And so I think the media has a lot of opportunity to talk to both sides of the aisle as it relates to the new executive orders that are going to be released today. I think we need to narrate those conversations because I think that's how we're going to restore uh, true journalism with telling everyday stories. There are people that are hurting in rural America that their stories need to be told, you know, where they don't have access to the vaccine. They don't have access to the f uh, to food. I think we have to go and tell those stories because those stories are going to help to influence policy here in Washington because they are also being represented by, by people on both sides of the aisle. And it's the media job to shed a light on that uh, so that we can move forth as a country. Yeah, you're right. I mean, word is that he's going to have <clears throat> 15 executive orders, as David mentioned, covering a range of topics. He's expected to sign those this evening around 5.50 p.m. He's expected to attend the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier around 2 o'clock, right after being sworn in at 12 o'clock. So he's going to have a full day, and he's going to be issuing these executive orders. A big sense uh, our big debate right now happening within the Democratic Party is this question of the filibuster. So Mitch McConnell said he wanted the Democrats to keep the filibuster in place because that's something that he kept in place, except for on the issue of judges. What's your sense, Amanda, from Democrats? Do they want to keep this? I mean, he, he, the majority leader, uh, Schumer, is getting a lot of pressure to blow up the filibuster. What's your sense? Oh, good gracious. I certainly hope not. I mean, you, you take a 30,000-foot view of what something like that would do to American government um, and, and that branch of government. It, I, I certainly hope not. And in the interest of unity and healing, I think that we should throttle back on things like that that are so incredibly divisive and possibly damaging. Well, it will be interesting to see if, if they do return the favor because it's something that Republicans kept in place. It's something that Mitch McConnell kept in place. Mitch McConnell does appreciate the Senate and its its history and its its kind of comedy and, and, and the role as being a cooling measure to the hot temper of the U.S. House. We'll see if Chuck Schumer is able to return the favor. More with Duvalier coming up, and we will check in with Amanda and David back later in the program. We'll be right back. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Good morning and welcome back to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield and glad you're with us. It is January 20th, 2021, Inauguration Day for incoming President Joe Biden. Well, last night, yesterday afternoon, President Trump released some pre-taped remarks giving a farewell address. Take a look. Now, as I leave the White House, I have been reflecting on the dangers that threaten the priceless inheritance we all share. As the world's most powerful nation, America faces constant threats and challenges from abroad. 
But the greatest danger we face is a loss of confidence in ourselves, a loss of confidence in our national greatness. A nation is only as strong as its spirit. We are only as dynamic as our pride. We are only as vibrant as the faith that beats in the hearts of our people. No nation can long thrive that loses faith in its own values, history, and heroes, for these are the very sources of our unity and our vitality. What has always allowed America to prevail and triumph over the great challenges of the past has been an unyielding and unashamed conviction in the nobility of our country and its unique purpose in history. We must never lose this conviction. We must never forsake our belief in America. The key to national greatness lies in sustaining and instilling our shared national identity. That means focusing on what we have in common, the heritage that we all share. At the center of this heritage is also a robust belief in free expression, free speech, and open debate. Only if we forget who we are and how we got here could we ever allow political censorship and blacklisting to take place in America. It's not even thinkable. Shutting down free and open debate violates our core values and most enduring traditions. In America, we don't insist on absolute conformity or enforce rigid orthodoxies and punitive speech codes. We just don't do that. America is not a timid nation of tame souls who need to be sheltered and protected from those with whom we disagree. That's not who we are. It will never be who we are. And that's President Trump giving farewell remarks yesterday afternoon, released by the White House, his last word to the nation. I want to bring in Devalia Malone. He's a Democratic activist and the author of a manual for those who give a damn. Um, Duvalier, an interesting thing he talked about was history. And he said that a, a country cannot have vitality. It can't have just the fortitude and the ability to have a vision for the future if it doesn't respect its past, if it doesn't respect its heroes, if it doesn't respect its founders. And over and over, we've seen recently for a lot of conservatives, they feel like our heritage is being attacked. And that's why they're concerned about what's happening with the incoming administration, because they feel like, for example, the 1619 Project, where they would rather focus on slavery and say that our founders, that the true founding of America was 1619 instead of 1776, because 1776 was about throwing off the British crown because the British empire was repressive to the American people. And that's what 1776 is about. And they're trying to reframe it and say, let's just focus on slavery. And, and also they never talk about the hundreds and thousands of white Americans who died, who gave their lives to free the slaves. These are people who had nothing to gain from this, but they gave their lives. 1619 never talks about those Americans. They never talk about the sacrifice they gave over their lives. They just want to talk about slavery and not talk about the heroes who destroyed the British crown off of American soil. Is this a problem? I mean, why do Democrats focus on, on the negative instead of on the sacrifices of hundreds of thousands of Americans? I think, Carrie, we have to look at one thing. When I uh, watched the president's farewell address, uh, w you know, action speaks louder than words. And so the president is very good at reading off a teleprompter, uh, but then he his actions are different. So, you know, um, when we look at him not being on Twitter, we can't really get what he's really thinking. So one of the things I would say, as a country, we have to move 
forward, and that's Democrats and Republicans alike. Uh, when we look at what we've been through these last four years, there have been actions. And so January the 6th was a prime example, uh, Carrie, of what happens when all words that are lies and that are not true incite this mob on the Capitol. And so to... Well, well to be, if you look at the transcript, the president mm -hmm. said peacefully. He encouraged his followers mm -hmm. to be peaceful. And in nowhere, when he was doing his electoral challenges, did he ever invoke violence. So these were some rogue actors who had nothing to do with what the president had actually said. So that's... Uh, but but the, the big question, uh, the difference of what we saw on January 6th was that this was not an event that was created by the Trump campaign. When the Trump campaign would do their rally, they were very secure and they were very pre-planned and everything. This was in many ways, uh, at least the people, these had nothing to do with the Trump campaign. But, but words, the president said on January 6th, meet me at the Capitol. As his motorcade went back to the secure White House and he watched this. And then when, when leaders from, from both sides of the aisle were calling for him to say something, it took him a minute to come out and to address the country. And so again, Carrie, when I opened up, I said, action speaks louder than words. And so the president's action was, meet me at the Capitol. That was a lie. He did not meet them at the Capitol. And so what, hap I mean, what happened on January 6th is a prime example of what has been building up in this country the last four years, that the election was rigged. I mean, I mean, uh, when we look at the objections, calling the uh, Secretary of State in Georgia, saying, found me uh, uh, 11,000 votes uh, so that we can win this election. Carrie, that is not the integrity of the office. So I have to say that the president's words on yesterday versus the president's actions, they are not in alignment. And so to, today is a, a new day for so many Americans because they've seen this president words not match his All right. actions. Well, we'll see. We'll <laughs> see if Democrats will actually look forward. Uh, I would be shocked if they do, but but we'll keep we'll keep we'll keep you to the fire, Duvalier. We'll be right back. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com/slash metaverse impact. Good morning and welcome back here to Inauguration Day 2021. I'm Carrie Sheffield and glad you're here with us. So we have Amanda Head there back at the U.S. Capitol with a live shot behind her of the preparations for the noon swearing in of Joseph R. Biden. Good morning, Amanda. You there? Hi, Carrie. Yes. How are you? Doing well. So paint the scene for our viewers. What it, what's the latest? Sure. So the situation has not changed much from uh, or in the last hour or so. I see, I'm looking over there, maybe 100 or so, 150 people gathered. Obviously, this is a virtual inauguration as it pertains to uh, civilian attendees. So you've got members of the administration, you've got family members of the new administration, and then, of course, uh, Congress people from both the House and the Senate. So not a lot of people there of course national mall is empty it's filled with flags of you as you have probably seen uh, pictures posted on social media it's quite empty and it seems pretty quiet there also i'm joined here on the couch by Diwali malone a democratic activist and author mm. Diwali, what do you expect to see we were just talking during the break about this tension between the younger kind of millennial 
Democratic, more liberal, the AOC wing compared to the Pelosi wing. When you're looking at the cabinet members of who Biden has picked so far, they seem to be more establishment. They seem to be older. Do you think this could actually be a bigger chasm in some ways versus the Republican Party? I think the inner workings of government, uh, we do need uh, established um, people who have the experience to move forth. Uh, so a lot of Biden's picks are very diverse. Uh, they're very established in their skill set compared to what we saw uh, with this past administration with Trump. A lot of his uh, cabinet picks did not kind of match the skill set for particular agencies and departments. So I am excited that Biden is moving forth with experienced candidates to run those departments. But I do believe that it is time for the Democratic Party. I see Biden as a um, as a guard to change over the Democratic Party to another uh, generation. And so we see that with the selection of the Vice President Kamala Harris. One of the things that I do hope that as we see the inauguration today, there will be a message of unity and uh, uniting the country. But we do know that after that inauguration at 12 noon, we have to get to work and we have to figure out how are we going to work with the progressive part of the party, um, like your AOCs who or you know, looking for health care for all, looking for student loan uh, debt, looking for uh, you know progressive uh, movement when it comes to infrastructure, uh, making sure that we uh, bring forth a party that represents the poor and those that are underserved in our community. So there's going to be a lot of work to do uh, on both sides of the aisle. Um, when we talk about the filibuster, I don't think Joe Biden is going to really be a fan of that because he's a... a you a, mean a, a breaking it or of keeping it? Of, of, of uh, breaking it. Uh, but then we're going to have to figure out how we're going to hear the voices of the progressive who wants the filibuster gone tomorrow. Well, certainly when we see the uh, executive orders that are on tap, they seem to be a, a wish list that would support and uh, very much excite the liberal base. But Amanda, I want to bring you in. The Wall Street Journal is reporting that President Trump has been considering creating his own political party called the Patriot Party. Is this a way of him for him to get back at the Republican Party? Because word is that he's furious with some leaders of the Republican Party. He feels betrayed by them. He feels like they didn't stand up for him. He feels like they didn't do what they needed to do preserve, to preserve electoral integrity under the Constitution. Is this a way of basically thumbing his nose at the Republican Party, and, and if he does create this party, would it then basically doom the Republican chances of ever winning the White House again? Hi, Carrie. Yeah, I don't know if this is really uh, a move for vengeance. Necessity is the mother of all invention. And I think that the Republican Party, I think this, this is voter driven. I think you have a lot of people within the Republican Party who, who feel like they have given far too many chances to establishment Republicans, and they have turned their backs on them and turned their backs on the things that those voters value. So moving this direction with the Patriot Party, Carrie, you've studied politics just like I have, and you know that it is very hard to start a new party. That being said, if they do decide to go down that road, I think we've got at least six or eight years of, uh, of Democrat power coming at us if we do in, indeed decide to go that direction. Uh, breaking news also, it's snowing. Um, so coming from California, that's something I haven't seen in quite a while. I also wanted to touch on something else as far as the division in the Democrat Party. I was thinking about it as I was laying in bed last night, and you know there is this division in the Republican Party as well between establishment and this new brand of, of MAGA conservatism or nationalism. 
But you also have something on the Democrat side where a lot of them, you know, the, the one commonality, the one bond that they share was getting Trump out of office. That's it. That's gone. I mean, he Trump, Trump is gone. So so as far as uniting the left with their more progressive wing and the more moderate wing, I think that's going to be a very tight rope for Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer and the more establishment types on the Democrat side to walk. Yes, you know, I was talking to Dick Morris, who was an advisor to former President Bill Clinton. The first two years of Bill Clinton's first term, he said, Bill Clinton said that he actually became so liberal he didn't even recognize himself. He said that he was pulled so much further to the left than he wanted to be, and that it was actually the left wing of the Democratic Party that held him hostage and steered him away from the agenda that he actually wanted to do. Joe Biden has been much more centrist in his life, in his political career, so we'll see if he actually retains that anchor of who he was or if he's just going to be pulled into this new creation, this new Frankenstein that isn't really who Joe Biden has been historically. We'll see. All right, that does it for us. Amanda, thanks so much from the view there on the Capitol. But we'll be right back with a letter from one outgoing president to an incoming one. Stay tuned. Good morning. It is January 20th, 2021, and that's a live shot there of the U.S. Capitol. You can see it's draped in flags for the incoming swearing in of Joe Biden to be our next president, number 46. To close the show, I want to read a letter that former President George H.W. Bush gave to Bill Clinton, and it's dated January 20th, 1993. He said, Dear Bill, When I walked into this office just now, I felt the same sense of wonder and respect that I felt four years ago. I know you will feel that too. I wish you great happiness here. I never felt the loneliness some presidents have described. There will be very tough times, made even more difficult by criticism you may not think is fair. I'm not a very good one to give advice, but just don't let the critics discourage you or push you off course. You will be our president when you read this note. I wish you well. I wish your family well. Your success now is our country's success. I'm rooting hard for you. Good luck. George. And that phrase, the good luck, that was the same phrase that President Trump gave to the incoming President Joe Biden this morning, as well as in taped remarks yesterday. The president, President Trump, wished the best of luck to incoming President Joe Biden, and he said that he believes that he's handing it off a strong country, a restored country, an incredibly strong economy, that the fundamentals that he rebuilt under his watch, that he's passing those reins over to Joe Biden. Uh, And he said that he hopes that he's able to maintain and build on that success and also the pandemic, that the American people will be healed and restored back to where we were before. All right, that does it for us here. Stay tuned for more ongoing coverage of the presidential inauguration. We'll see you tomorrow.